out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the writer and traveller. It's Roxanne Jetty, who I spoke to. To find out more about a book that has just been published, it's titled Once Upon a Time in the Dust, Burning Man Around the World. This is a story of her year travelling to seven of the events firsthand to get to the heart of a culture that is creating community in a disconnected world. Her journey spanned five continents. And this is the interview with her, and she's going to explain much more. So um, after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to that interesting subject that is the background to Burning Man. So it started as a small gathering on Baker Beach, uh, and it was actually the first one ever was on the summer solstice. And Baker Beach is uh, just a little beach in, uh, in San Francisco, And it was just a group of friends who got together and made this structure, which was a wooden man. Um, And they ended up burning this man on the beach. And then as the years went by, the festival grew in strength um, and eventually moved out to the Nevada desert. And uh, and yeah, that was the birth of a movement, really. Yes. Uh, and also, I mean, you know, having sort of, um, yes, the kind of the the kind of current, I suppose, history of kind of festivals starting. I think it was kind of, I mean, this is probably very UK based, but there was something in the 50s, a jazz festival called the the, the Battle of Bouley, where there was trad jazz fans and modern jazz fans. And bizarrely, they got fighting. It was very famous. So that was the 50s. And then in the 60s, the counterculture and the hippie movement happened you know, with Monterey, there have been a few. And then there was obviously Woodstock was the kind of the great glamorous one. And then it went slightly downhill with various other bits and pieces. So, yes, there's always been an interest in festivals and gatherings, haven't there? Did you did you sort of with your research and experience kind of have an idea of why why people like to gather? This is this is something that's often quite intriguing. Gosh, why people like to gather. I mean, first of all, Burning Man, a lot of people get uh, get a bit ruffled when it's called a festival because it was more like a like a movement, right? And more of a pop-up community um, yes. that together every year. But why people like to gather? I think that, you know, back in the day, our ancestors used to gather um, around a fire or to tell stories to each other, etc. Um, and in our common, uh, our sort of modern societies, what's happened now is that we're all quite isolated from each other, right? So we spend all of our days in apartment blocks. We don't know our neighbors. Um, we're constantly connected on our phones. And the net result of that is that we don't speak to each other. Um, so I think that that is why um, actual gatherings are becoming rituals within our societies where we can get together again and, you know, just go back to the basics, to the origin of of, of man and, and humans as social beings, you know, speak together, speak to strangers, et cetera, and, uh, and just have a, a good time, really. Yes. Um, and it, it seems like a logical thing, but it is just something that 
has been drummed out of us a little bit in 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 the way that we live these days where we're very individualistic so the collective aspect i think of mankind has kind of dissolved a little bit as time has gone on yes so this is, is the pull and the draw <laughs> yes i yeah that that i, I can echo yes i kind of yes i can well sort of appreciate that because but the thing with Burning Man, though, it's quite different to any other gathering, isn't there? There isn't the usual, this is the amazing, you know, lineup of bands or things on offer, and this is how much the ticket's going to be and, and stuff like that. So, yes, yeah, so on how how did that, um, what's, the, what's the background? Did you sort of do much research or, or sort of, um, yeah, probing with, with why there was this very strong idea and identity, wasn't there? Yeah, well, Burning Man, you know, as I as I said, it started as a very small movement on a beach that was organized by friends, but then it grew very organically. Um, and I guess at the center of Burning Man is the fact that it's a participant-led event. Um, so Burning Man, that the, there is an organization, very small organization, and what they do is they provide the shell for the event to happen, right? So they provide uh you know important things like toilets <laughs> and uh, and security and and obviously leasing the land um but the idea of it is to create this um you know almost self-constructing society uh that's set up by the participants right yes um and so all of the structures that you see, you know, the the art installations and and et cetera that that people see, um, you know, now very much mediatized on on Instagram, I suppose. All of that has been uh, created and financed and brought by the participants, right? So that's I think what makes it very different to other festivals where um, the festival itself is set up by organizers, right? You'll have your food stands, you'll have your, you know, maybe there would be some some art or, or you know, psychedelic things or whatever the festival is, is aiming at that will all be created by a central structure. Um, but Burning Man kind of breaks that apart and turns it in on its head, where it's the participants that come and create this whole city basically um and that's what's fascinating about it because that means that year on year the city changes right it's never the same event um so you know this year there will be a set of structures that's built by a set of people and then next year you know so other participants might have other ideas that they want to bring and it's not just limited to art as well they bring workshops um you know rituals gatherings etc and that all creates a very unique city in a very unique setting um and then the other thing that sets it apart really is the fact that uh there is no advertising at burning man and there's no commerce at all so there's no exchange of money when you're there you do have to buy a ticket so <laughs> to to get to the event and the ticket goes to uh, fund that basic infrastructure that I was talking about that's brought by the organization. Um, but once you're on site, there is no, there's no commerce. It's it's a gifting economy, 
right? right. So no yes. money changes hands during a whole week. And that might seem like a basic thing, but being in a a week in one's life where you're not, you know, you're 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 not giving money and receiving something is actually a very different experience. And it creates that kind of gifting economy creates um <laughs> very strong ties between the participants as well, because everyone is there gifting what they want, whether it's art, food, drinks, and then the, the 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 kind of energy that's created through that is something that's very special and and very unique because we're taken out of that sort of commercial exchange that we're used to. Yes. My God, that's just extraordinary, isn't it really? So um, just on the practical level, before getting to your book, how do you then on the the money and uh, the food front? Then do you have to take all the food that you'll need, or is there places where people provide free food, a bit like the Harry Krishnas Krishnas used to in the <laughs> early days of the eight, well, the eighties, really? So uh, you need to bring what what you need to what you to survive right so there's the principles of the event is radical self-reliance they call it so you do need to come with your water and food um but you know within burning man there are camps that have popped up right where it's basically a collection of participants that get together and create camps they can be of from five people to 40 people or actually at Burning Man, some of them are can be up to 300 people, actually. Yes. Very big camps at, at Burning Man. Um, and that is basically like little collectives where, you know, you join a camp and um, you communally buy food together. Right. And then um, there will be like shifts that people take to uh, cook the food for the rest of the camp. So maybe, you know, Tuesday night, you'll be cooking the meal for the camp and then Thursday night, someone else will be doing it. So there is like a micro organization within the participants. Um, so some some people choose to join camps rather than to free camp. Yes, my goodness, that's fantastic. And did that, and did you... Did... And did that all work? Did you see that sort of all sort of working really well? Yeah, I think it it, it does work. It does work um, surprisingly well. You know, people can um, self-organize very well in the absence of a, of a structure and an organization that comes and, you know, provides food for commerce. For yes. Right? Um, and there's also... Uh, a lot of camps that you know uh, gift food so that's their like gift to uh to burning man is that they come and they 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 bring food there's a camp at um at uh burning man in 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 nevada that uh brings a they bring um miso soup right and their name used to be miso horny <laughs> Classic. She's <laughs> quite a funny name for a for a camp. Um, but different different camps bring different offerings, whether it's having a bar, uh, where you know you go and all the drinks are free, or having a food or art or other all sorts of different kinds of offerings. 
Amazing. And then so the idea is, is that you bring whatever gift that you want and then other people bring other gifts and then you create a self-sustaining community, basically. Wow, that is amazing. That is fantastic. So coming to your book then, when did you decide to do this amazing project? And also, I was under the impression, sort of slightly naively, there was just one burning man. But then having seen your book, I realized there's, is there five or six burning men, man, fest, you know, events that happen throughout the continent, the world? So there's actually uh, more than 100 events around the world. Um, right. Yes. <laughs> so I, I I was the same. When I first went to Burning Man, I mean, that was in 2015. Uh, the one that I went to was Black Rock City. Yes. Uh, I had not done any research into what it was, really. So I had no expectations when I arrived, um, which was obviously a bit of a shock <laughs> with what I found. Uh, and I wasn't aware that there was other burns around the world in different parts of the world. Um, so it was only the year after my first burn in 2016 um, that I happened to be in uh, in Africa for for work. Um, I work as a uh, aid worker, right? In my, in my job job, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I was I happened to be in Zimbabwe on a project. And I found out that there was um, an event called Africa Burn. And so I didn't even know about it. And as I had, you know, been quite enamored by, by Burning Man and quite interested in Burning Man as a model for creating, you know, pop-up communities, I ended up going to Africa Burn at very last minute, found a ticket, hit the road, um, and just spent a week there being amazed that, you know, you didn't have to go all the way to Black Rock City in Nevada um, to find this kind of movement, to find this kind of community and to feel the magic that happened, you know, within that kind of participant led um, experiment. Uh, it was also happening in a place like South Africa, yes. right, where Africa Burn is. Um, and when I left that that event, I thought, well, how fascinating. Let me see if there's other regional events. And then I discovered a whole world of uh, regional events that spread in the four corners of the globe. Um, and I decided that I really wanted to understand how people create that kind of community in very different cultural contexts. Mm. Um, Obviously, there's a hundred <laughs> regional events, which is impossible to go to. Um, so what I decided was to pick uh, one event per continent. And I ended up going to seven events in the in the course of one year and uh, decided to write a book about it. That's amazing. So the, yeah, so when you if you've picked your your locations and festivals and then went to them, so what what how did each one feel? I'm sort of fascinated with this because because obviously, you know, if you had some an example like Glastonbury Festival that works, they've been doing it since the 70s, slightly off and on in the yeah, at the beginning. And then they've got this very strong model, they've got a very strong site, everything that is kind of there, and they you know do brilliantly. But how does how does something that works in you know and started in America then sort of manage to, to transport itself around the world? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question that 
the thing is, because it's a participant-led event, each of the events is very different, right? But they all have this sort of central principles, which are the kind of 10 principles of Burning Man that are around, you know, the, the decommodification and leave no trace and um, radical inclusion and so on. Yes. Um, so they each have that kind of similar essence, let's say, and uh, and similar values, um, but they're completely different, right? Because um, if you have an event that's set up by participants, obviously, if that event is happening in the US, or it's happening in Israel, or it's happening in Japan, it's going to be a completely different experience because the people that are creating it are completely different. Yes. You know? so, um, so, so just to briefly, there isn't the same core group of people from the American place going around the world saying, right, we're here now, we'll set it up. It's a, a different crew in each of those locations. Like a sort of decentralised franchise. I don't yes. <laughs> for, oh, want yes. better, for want of a better word. Um it's really, I mean, as I said, there's there's those those core sort of principles that govern how a burn should be managed. Um, but they're really sort of guidelines, right? And then um each of the different uh regional entities that sets up these um these burns in their within their countries and communities um takes those principles and adjust them you know how however they they see fit really to to make sure that they're in line with um that community yes so so you have that kind of roughly the same experience but then so when you were going on your year which just would blow my mind trying to go to that many festivals in different locations in the world how did they each one compare when you got there did you like yeah I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of curious how you sort of went, right, this is it. I mean, is it Japan? And then you're in sort of, yes, as you said, Africa and then elsewhere. Did Yeah. What was it like sort of dropping in there and sort of then becoming part of it? Yeah. So I guess first, let me just tell you which ones I went to. Yes, good point. Be, <laughs> that would be useful. So um, as I said, I chose seven to go to in a year. Um and the first one that I went to was in Argentina, which is called Fuego Austral. Then the second one that I went to was in um, Africa. It's Africa Burn. Then I went to Midburn in Israel. Then I went to Nowhere, which is the biggest European uh, Burning Man event. Uh, then I went to well, Black Rock City, which is the main one in the US and burning Japan in Japan and then blazing swan in Australia so i really did you know a world a world tour of them um and each of these are i mean completely different fuego austral for instance is only 500 people yes and it's held in a field right so it's um if you compare it to uh, Black Rock City, that's 80,000 people in a desert, right? So just in terms of the, that, that dynamic is completely different. Yes. Um, so on that front, I mean, you know, one shouldn't have favourites. That would be my, that would be my favourite so far. What was the, 
<laughs> was that did you did you enjoy the sort of size and the you know the the community aspect of that one um because those sort of camps can feel quite yes not too overwhelming what was your kind of emotional response to to one that was you couldn't count everybody you know or know everybody's name by the end but you'd probably get familiar with them yeah it's a completely different experience to to Black Rock City. I mean, the art is on a much smaller scale, obviously. Um, and as you say, it's not so overwhelming in terms of the, the sensory experience, right? Mm. So there's your, your your camping in a in a field, and there's this very, very small, like hippie community, right? That sort of pops up. And obviously in Argentina, people are very at ease with creating community right they're very tactile so you know there's a lot of layer like, hugging and people um already have that the ritual with mate which is a tea that they that they drink that's drunk in a in a circle um so you know they sort of create community like it's second nature and at the end of the week you know all of the all of the people pretty much and the interesting thing is that you know all of the artists as well that right. have created art pieces, which doesn't happen in a, in a place like Black Rock City because there's a lot of anonymity there. And because you know the artists, at the end of the week when they burn the structures, which is part of the, the Burning Man ritual, um, it's a very emotional experience because you've known the, the people that have built those structures and you've created a you know emotional ties with those people and then when they see their art pieces being burnt and this ritual it's it's very emotional for them because they've you know that's been their baby let's say yes they've, they've put all of their creative drive into that and then to see it you know being Amazing. sacrificed to the community almost yes uh, and so you you get that that experience in uh in Forestral, which is very different yes and then um, what... yeah sorry go ahead i was going to say and then your next one and then um africa burn is thirteen thousand people right so it's a kind of like in between where you don't necessarily know everyone but you could bump into people you know during during the event um and the the difference with Africa Burn is that art is it's very sort of wooden. Most of the art is sort of quite earthy and wooden, and it definitely has that African flavor. And it's in a desert as well, right? But it's in a very African desert, right? It's in the Tanqua in the Karoo, um, and it is uh, it's the place in the world that has the second largest uh, telescope because you can see the Milky Way with the naked eye. Yes. So the sky at night is just phenomenal. And those, those red sort of African sunsets. Um, so it's definitely got like a very different feel, you know, to, to, to Black Rock City, both in terms of the landscape, in terms of the art, and obviously in terms of the participants, some of the music that, that happens is that there's, quite a bit of live music as well, like drumming, et cetera. So, you know, it's, again, it's it's led by the participants. So it will always, it will always be a Amazing. different thing. Yes. Uh, and then Midburn, 
I think that is a particularly fascinating one uh, because of the fact that, you know, where it, where it is in terms of um, the fact that it's based in a, in quite a difficult context, you know, and, and what I felt at, at Midburn was that people that go to, to Midburn, I mean, the Israeli people really need to have that outlet, you know, to sort of decompress from their day-to-day -day life in a in a in a in a difficult territory. Yes, very. I could imagine. I went to a kibbutz many decades ago, and um, yes, it's a mind-boggling sort of complex place, isn't it? Yeah, and as and as you rightly say, the the kibbutz is a big part of the Israeli society. So, you know, in in, in a way, the Israelis when they come to um, Midburn, right, which is their burning man, uh, they come with this, already this experience that's sort of ingrained in them of creating community, right? Yeah. So it's very tight, the community that's created there. And also, I mean, logistically, for them, when they're setting up camps, different camps, they do it so efficiently. I've never seen <laughs> a bird <laughs> where, where structures are put up so efficiently because you know everyone's done three years army training this and they true. know how to collaborate and work together um so i think that it gives them that important outlet emotionally yeah. um, be able to be free in a sense and also um yeah it's it's uh it's a, it, it's amazing in terms of the show that they put on with with con constructing and tearing down the city so fast so efficiently it's crazy <laughs> <laughs> yes and then what, what was your next one you went to and then uh nowhere um in spain where they they don't actually burn anything because there's fire restrictions so it's a bit of a strange as there's no rituals around which the city is um is created um and that and nowhere is very it's very chaotic i would say um right. it's sort of i think it reminds me a little bit of what burning man would have been like when it was first created because it's uh it's the one that's the most similar to Mad Max, I would yeah. say. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I was just at when I just remember when we first kind of started, I remember thinking, I sort of love collecting news, newspaper articles. And I do now remember this one of Burning Man from probably the late 80s, early 90s, which I should have got before. But I just remembered it. And it had, you know, it was a Mad Max thing with these guys with guns on motorbikes talk about this festival. And I went, oh, I'll keep that in my little folder of festivals. And um, yes, and it just came to me at that bad time. In really. I should have thought about it yesterday. Yes, but then it was there. So that was the Mad Max one. That would have been my, um, yeah. I mean, that, no, there's no more guns. I'm no more say. guns, but no. There's, but no, There's no guns at um, at the Spanish one. It wouldn't no, be that's allowed. A good... It has that sort of rawness, you know, there's no, uh, the art is sort of, there's a lot of fire, like flamethrowers and so on, and, and people are quite feral. I don't know. It just Yes, it I, I, I know. Well, in the 80s, we, you know, in the UK, there was, um, festivals got a bit tricky because there was this kind of thing called the Peace Convoy or the... Um, yeah, it was called the Peace Convoy. The Travellers, that was it. And they were living in buses all the time. But there was something quite 
hard and you know because people living through winters in the UK on in a bus can you know it can get to get to you and it can yeah there was an energy and a quality and it you know um yeah there's a lot of drinking and smoking and and all that sort of stuff that people have been doing so there was a yeah mad max is a good way of describing it really with lots of dogs so um <laughs> <laughs> no, no dogs but but uh, definitely that that sort of mad max feel <laughs> classic and then what was your next one you went to yeah and then Japan, uh, that is oof, 300 people. So I should say that um, Nowhere is 3,000 and Midburn is about 12,000, although now it's about 8,000. Right. So, um, so Burning Japan is the smallest one that I've been to. You know, 300 people, it's, it's tiny. Yes. Um, it's just outside of Tokyo. And also, uh, it's the shortest one. So they only uh, have the event over three days, three or four days. Um, and that is really simply because Japanese people, they cannot take holidays. You know, it's that kind of society. It's sort of work, work, work. Um, they're in a very rigid, hierarchical society. Um, and when you arrive at Burning Japan, you get given a bracelet uh, to indicate whether you are okay with being photographed or not. And that is simply because, you know, Burning Man is not is not very mainstream as a right. well, especially in Japanese culture. Um, so you wouldn't want your boss seeing a picture of you yes. at Japan, ironically. And then also it's very different. I mean, I, I mentioned how in Argentina people hug very naturally. In Japan, you know, people barely look at you in the eyes, right? So, so they they they're uncomfortable with hugging strangers, right? So, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a very different experience again from from the others. And what was and the it, artwork like on that one? So the artwork, there was a, it's obviously very small. It's much smaller because it's 300 people. Um, and the, um, there was a temple that was um, made entirely out of bamboo. So that was very, very beautiful, very, very delicate structure. Mm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it obviously had that, uh, that Japanese um, influence. And I, there was one, art piece that was also I mean I don't know if you call it an art piece but someone had put a mirror this Japanese person had just brought with with them a a full-length mirror um and he would sit behind on a chair and then people would come and and sit and then when you were sat in the looking at yourself in the in the mirror um he would smile right and it seems like such a simple thing Right. Like, I mean, is that even an art piece is the question. But in a place like Japan, where people don't look at each other in the eyes, you know, like mm. di direct eye contact in the street is, 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 is seen as a bit rude. <laughs> right. um, so when I when I went to Japan, I spent a, a week or so in Japan just um, exploring. I'm fascinated by Japanese culture. I went to Hiroshima and um 
Kyoto, etc. Uh, and I felt like I was invisible for a week because people don't make eye contact. So that simple act of having a mirror and having someone look at you and smile and to feel seen is actually a very potent symbol in yes. a place like well, that's a that's a really that sounds like a really powerful um, performance art piece, actually. It, it, it was, and 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 so simple. But if you if you break it down and think about it, you know, there's so much meaning behind that. That yeah. it's okay that you're seen, and that you know you're not a stranger. Yes, right? absolutely. So it was um, it was lovely, and there was a lot of like small art pieces like that and there there was also a traditional Japanese sauna on site that um that people had brought um and just generally I felt that the Japanese people they are much more comfortable with uh with gifting than with receiving gifts right Mm -hmm. so which is very different to the American (laughs) society right where where people are, oh, they they're very comfortable with receiving, right? It's, <laughs> yes, the ex- expectations of life. Yeah, different. but in Japan, it was it was a very, it's a very different mentality. So a lot of people just came, uh, gifted something, whatever it was, and then spent the rest of the time not really interacting that much because they felt like, okay, we've done what we were, what we came to do, right. Um, but within themselves, they were being transformed on that very subtle level. Yes. Participating in this kind of social experiment in a very cold and restrictive society. I would yeah. say. Did that feel did that feel quite humbling that that experience that you had there? Or was it that one? I just wondered if, yeah, just curious. Yeah, it it was. It was a a really interesting experience. You know, I I think that Burning Japan and then and Mid Burning Israel, I think, were very unique for me in terms of the experiences. And I and I felt that I grew a lot as a person as well through having experienced those cultures in that way and yes. felt like on the inside of a participant-led project um, of that. Yes, because it's kind of a completely different culture, isn't it? You can slightly feel something quite familiar with certain places, and yes, for sure. And I mean, if if you go to Japan and just walk around Kyoto, you you might never really interact that much with Japanese people, and there to see Japanese people actually um, open up and shed some of those layers that they that they have right it was was quite quite special yes i think that would stay with you forever ever and ever so that's that's and so that's your the festival that was the ones that you i know i keep saying festival but um they were the burnings that you did which was um quite incredible and then did you at the beginning have the idea the for the australia one the australia one was the last one. Oh, the australian sorry which yeah so what was that experience like well, that one is interesting, but it, it was in Perth, which is uh, one of the most, the second most isolated city in the world. You know, there's there's nothing around Perth. Yes. Um, 
But it was like, it was a very, I would say it was quite a party burn because that's what Australians kind of do. It was a bit like a doof. Right. (laughs) So, yes. That didn't have quite the, well, (laughs) what it was. It was was fun, um, but I'm... I'm not sure it it was for me the 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 different cultural context that I'm not used to at least the Japanese and the Israeli and so on had more of an impact because it was new to me. Yes, absolutely. No, absolutely. I could imagine hearing you talk about it. It's um, quite a profound experience. So then, as you as you sort of planned this this year, had you planned to do the book as well, or was that something that started to develop within the within the year? So I think Burning Man is is quite cool in that it helps you tap into your creative flow. Yeah. I I, I mean when I was younger I would I would write with stories and poems and so on. Um, as I got older, that was replaced by essays and work reports and all of the adulting things that one must do. Yes, Excel spreadsheets. Excel spreadsheets so um, when I had this idea that I was going to do a year of burns I thought well what could I what could I bring you know what how could I give back to this community that is a creative community and that I've been inspired by yes and I thought well I will make a creative project out of it and and write about it Um, and so I'd never written a book before, but always sort of wanted to. And when I started on the journey, I didn't actually start writing until about five months into the journey, just because I had sort of writer's block. I didn't know how to set about writing. I I, I feel like I needed that time to kind of digest what I'd lived and to start to find my feet. And initially, I wasn't sure how I would even go about it. I thought, well, do I write this as a research project? Um, do I make it quite analytical, like compare and contrast, etc.? And then in the end, um, when I started writing, I felt that I wasn't doing justice to the events if I wrote it in that dry style, that what I wanted to do was to communicate how it felt to be there. And yes. the magic and the sense of community and how those events are transformational, right? And so it ended up being quite a personal account because at the end of the day, how can you write about something that you consider to be transformational, you're claiming to be transformational, without talking about how it's transformed you as a person, right? Yeah. So it ended up being, um, yeah more of a I don't know if I would say lyrical style but more of a personal yes so it sounded like you found your voice the writer's kind of voice when you were starting to work out how to create that narrative and and obviously I initially the book I was going to self-publish like I had I had no idea um how I was going to go about it but I just thought okay well I'll just write this thing and then let's see what happens with it maybe I self-publish or Maybe I won't even write the damn thing. You know? <laughs> um, 
And then it was actually during the pandemic that I was put in touch with someone from the comms team at Burning Man. And they said, okay, share the manuscript just for like feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't hear back from them for two months. So there I was thinking, well, it must be crap. Um, (laughs) They've tossed it over their shoulder, whatever. Um, But in the end, they got in touch and we're having a small talk, blah, blah, blah. And at some point I say, well, did you read some of this thing? Yes. (laughs) And the the comms person I was talking to said, well, no, I I read the whole thing. Um, And they said, well, we know that you wanted to self-publish, but actually Burning Man would really like to publish your book. So you know that then that's how it started that um you know in the end the the book was published officially by by burning mm-hmm. man which i could never have imagined something like that happening when i first got this idea to do it you know it's really oh that's so beautiful that must have been a, a happy day actually yes and and it's available on you know lots of different well you know online as well as i guess from all good bookshops as well, isn't it? So, but but it's basically what I'm saying. It's easily available, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. This is the main it's, thing. It's, yes, it's now available. It, it's um, took a took a while because obviously the pandemic put a bit of a spanner in the works. But um, I ended up actually writing quite a bit of it during the uh, the pandemic, which felt so bizarre to be writing about connection and community and this amazing year that I'd had. Um, whilst we didn't know when we would ever gather again or whether they'd ever be a burning man again and so it was very it was actually felt like writing a history book in a sense and it was cathartic to to be to have this little project to remind myself that out there there was this community of people that felt and breathed and lived Oh, that's amazing. Yes, and and I think probably now more than ever, people still love to gather, don't they? This is this is something that the the spirit enjoys. Yeah, but, but uh, it it was almost like the world sort of stopped me as well because I mean I didn't I haven't mentioned it yet, but when I was uh, when I was going to all of these different burns, obviously I I don't have an unlimited pool of funds, <laughs> so I was working throughout. So I was uh, working remotely, I was traveling, I was going to Burns, I was writing all at the same time. And so I was kind of approaching burnout by the end of this year, <laughs> uh, I've got to say. And then suddenly the pandemic, so I had all this time to... Uh, yes, that is that is impressive. Know. I know, yes, I remember you last time saying that um, you weren't just had a lovely trust fund and someone just said oh here's here's a little gift for the year you can go and play and enjoy yourself but you yes you had to really work it which yeah it it was kind of amazing to hear that still part of the story as well knowing that going to something like this is quite bang and then sort of coming back from any kind of event like this is also quite hard to then write okay I must get my head back but part of your brain and spirit is still wherever it was because it you get so involved in it and then you have to get on with life and then to I'm, I'm just really impressed that you managed to do so many seven around the world in and um keep your day job together. 
that's uh, that's and keep, keep the sanity it's, yes my my day job is i mean it's fairly serious so you know one minute i'm in a suit and then the next minute i'm out in a field with all these free spirits so it's uh yeah it's quite a contrast and do you feel just last question do you do you feel quite different now does it or are you still kind of experiencing and processing that particular year and and how it's affected you I think it's it's hard to say you know to put the finger on what is different but it definitely changed changed me you know those kind of journeys where you embark on something and you set a goal for yourself that you know you'll you'll create something and then you reach that goal it it makes you have a different mindset in the sense that anything is possible you know and obviously i mean i have i met so many incredible people that i'm still in touch with and you know stayed in touch with them through the pandemic um which was uh it's just like therapy, really. Yes, this is true. <laughs> and, this is still true. Yeah. I, I know people all around the world. And, you know, the Burning Man, it cuts across all generations, right? So um, uh, we I had a like a, a plier wedding, which is not like an official wedding. But the, the, the person who did the officiation, I think it's called, um, was 83 years old, you know. And so... I have a network of people who I know that uh, of all different age groups. And I think that a lot of the sort of so-called music festivals, right, are just targeted to young people at a certain age. You're supposed to, you know, um, just sit at home and drink tea. <laughs> yes. But, um, but Burning Man does show you that another type of society is, is possible, right, that um, doesn't matter what age. Um, you still have that creativity, that that drive, and that desire for connection. Yes, um, it does. It does so magical. And I have to say, when you described the Milky Way, I did think, oh yes, I remember those camps where you'd spend nights looking up, and you know, especially August time, there's always lots of shooting stars, which always makes it even more. You remember where we are in this great galaxy, which is kind yeah. of really nice to have that reconnection. And, uh, and yes. And just to say, I mean, Burning Man is also beyond the events, right? They, there's um, there's different burners around the world that uh, do uh, social projects. So there's this NGO that's attached to Burning Man called Burners Without Borders. And so they continue the type of ideals of community building, et cetera, outside of the events themselves. Um, and yeah um get involved in different social community building projects all around the world including i mean the at africa burn they support the local community in the tanqua desert um funding schools and so on so there is like a whole world as well that's beyond just the events themselves um that you know you don't have to just burn at the events you can burn all year round so yes it's, it's a lifestyle not just a yeah, a one-off. <laughs> Amazing. Well, and that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. A massive thank you to Roxanne, Jesse, for giving me the time for that. Um, as I 
mentioned at the beginning. The book is titled Once Upon a Time in the Dust, Burning Man Around the World. I will give you a link to the book and um, her website so you'll be able to click on it and find out more information. This has been the C86 Show, David. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. Also, these have all been archived, these interviews. So you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. It's true. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.